0: Friends, Greg Kokel here, and uh, this is Stand to Reason. Welcome to the show. Glad you've joined me. And uh, before I forget, since this is the podcast going out Wednesday and the next one's going out Friday, that would be the second one I do today, I better say this now, that we are virtually filled up for the main venue For the Southern California Reality, we have 2,040 people signed up. As I understand it, there's still room for more. I think we can take about 100 more in the main venue, all right, without having to worry about overflow. So if you have not yet signed up for that wonderful event, September 22nd, 23rd, that's Friday and Saturday, next, coming up, uh, at Biola University here in Southern California, you can do so by going to realityapologetics.com. All right, Almost sold out, like I said, but now's the time to strike the iron. I'm not sure if there's going to be room if you show up uh, at the gate, so to speak. Maybe. We'll find some place to put you, probably, but I'm just saying that it's best if you want to go and bring your young people, or just yourself, because even though reality is geared for middle schoolers and high schoolers, that's who we're trying to reach. That's who we're trying to train. That's who we're trying to prepare for the future, Um, we're not checking IDs at the door, all right? So um, anybody can come, any age, we welcome you to our Reality Student Apologetics Conference. Uh, The details are at RealityApologetics.com. By the way, in three and a half weeks, Washington, and Washington, three and a half weeks out, is already sold out. Can you believe that? Now, there's overflow. You won't be able to get in the main auditorium, but the overflow is better than not flowing at all, right? So, uh, again, realityapologetics.com is the website to go to to get the information for that. It's actually in... um, Now, I always get these mixed up, Bellingham or Bellevue. Is it Bellevue? Bellevue, okay. In view of the bell. Maybe that's how I can remember it. So, Seattle... Metropolitan area, Bellevue, Washington is where the event's at, uh, realityapologetics.com once again. And in Minneapolis, look, friends, we are seven and a half weeks out from the Minneapolis event, and we have 1,748 signups as of yesterday. Is that cool or what? Now, this auditorium just holds around 4,000. We had 3,800 before. And incidentally, we have 10 breakouts. So when you get 4,000 people and you have 10 breakouts, you have to have 10 rooms that hold 400 people. I think that's each, which is larger than the average church in America. Those are just the breakouts. Of course, we've chosen the uh, wonderful Grace Church, Eden Prairie, which is the largest church in the state of Minnesota. And uh, we can't, there's no place else we can go, all right? So, uh, we're likely to be filled to the gills. That's the place, if you're planning to go, you better get signed up quickly because those seats are selling out really fast, all right? Seven and a half weeks out and uh, almost half full. So, also reality apologetics.com. I might also mention that there are two new STRU courses that are coming out September 29th. That's uh, the day after my spiritual birthday, by the way, September 28th. I will be fifty years in Christ, half a century. Man, hard to imagine, huh? Nevertheless, the 29th, we will be releasing two new STRU courses, and uh, they are—I'm looking for my underline here—here <laughs> Gosh. Uh, here it is, Five Easy Issues. Of course, the easy is in scare quotes, right? They ought to be easy, but they're not. They are easy biblically, but they're tough culturally. Salvation, abortion, gender, marriage, sex. I give that course, and I lay out why— Even though they're hard culturally, they are not difficult scripturally. It's my version of faithfulness is not theologically complicated. I just had to find a better title uh, for that material, and so I think there are six sessions total, uh, five issues plus an introduction, something like that. And Robbie Lashua has tackled the Trinity, A Solution, Not a Problem, and he'll explain to you why that title makes sense. The Trinity, A Solution, Not a Problem, both coming up, being released September 29th. Go to training.str.org. G, okay? Um, By the, let's see, next week, September 25th and 27th, I will be speaking at the Gospel Coalition Conference in in Indianapolis, Indiana. I got a long week there. I'm I'm leaving on Monday, then I don't come back till the following Tuesday, so it's actually like eight days, and I'll be speaking at three different universities, including the University of Kentucky on uh, Monday, October 2nd, the University of Louisville that's in the mix there, and another university in Indiana somewhere, so I'm jumping back and forth across the Ohio River there for a couple of days with lots and lots of work. If you go to uh, the, um, let's find it, uh, I'm looking for the website, str.org slash events, str.org slash events, all the details are there, and uh, the kind of crazy schedule I have next week. Uh, September 20th, make that September 30th, September 30th, Alan Schliemann will be speaking at the uh, Reasonable Truth Conference in Hesperia, California. That's Saturday, and the the details are also there at str.org slash events. Um, It's not here on the list, but in October I think I'm going to be in Kalamazoo, and I'm going to be at a Lutheran conference also in October, and then we'll also in October be in Seattle, of course, so a lot of work coming up here in the next few months, and uh, opportunity somewhere around the country, maybe run into you if you'd like to participate. Now, um, I wanted to recommend a film to you that I have seen. It's a documentary, and my wife stumbled upon it while she was kind of scrolling through YouTube topics. We've got one of these DVD players that if you plug the uh, online thing into it or you're, I guess you don't have to plug it in, you, the HDMI thing, then you watch your DVDs, or you can hook up with YouTube, and then there's all kinds of things that pop up, and you could search and whatever. And and so she saw this piece called The God Who Speaks, a documentary, and she started watching it. So I kind of came in in the middle, and I thought, this is great. Let's start over, and we watched the whole thing through over two nights. It was fabulous. It's all about the Bible, and it's very nicely done. And, you know, about half of the people there are people that I know that are talking from their discipline, especially New Testament studies and textual studies and apologetics, about why the Bible is reliable in fulfilling its claim that this is where God speaks a whole host of different issues they cover. I thought it was fabulous. I, I I actually want to watch the whole thing again because there was very little that I learned new from the documentary, given my own training. But the way it was put together, it was such a powerful reinforcement to me about the re- re- reliability of the text and why we can trust the text having been passed down accurately over time, and why we can trust the text to reflect the truth of God's Word, as it claims to. So, uh, once again, The God Who Speaks, Amy went to the website, and then it says register or something, and I said, I didn't register for anything, or my wife didn't. Uh, We found it on YouTube, I think. So it should be available without any further ado. Registration, signing up for anything, whatever. Whatever. Okay, Amy says she's putting a link to the YouTube version. Well, the the, the YouTube um, page where you can actually watch it. It's not the YouTube version. It's only one version, but it's great. So uh, my, uh, I just want to recommend that. I enjoyed it so much. One other thing before I go to calls, and we've got uh, Phil in Oregon and Cade from Colorado Springs, and everybody knows Cade, and uh, in Calgary, Canada, we have Glenn. So we'll be picking up those calls shortly, but I want to relate to you a conversation that I can hardly remember. (laughs) It wasn't that long ago, but that's just the way it is when you get older. You remember things that happened half a century ago better than, you know, half a month ago. sometimes. But I was in Wisconsin with my buddy Charlie, and we were having dinner at our favorite bar and grill. Amy said, are you going to tell him you were eating dinner at a bar? Listen, if you want to eat dinner in northern Wisconsin, it's going to be a bar. That's just the way it is, bar and grill kind of thing. And they have, the in this particular place, Black Bear Bar and Grill On Highway 70, about five miles west of Woodruff and Manaqua in the North Woods there, uh, has the best pizza. Now, after about five or six of them in the course of two weeks, I started to get a little tired of it. But nevertheless, it's a mainstay for us. There was a young lady that was waiting on us, and she had waited on me a couple of nights before. Very friendly, very sweet, um, and very, very uh, helpful. I mean, she was she was a good, did a good job, very cheerful, uh, attended to the, what needed to be attended to, and that was great. Her name was Kira, as in Kira Knightley. That's how I can remember it. I made the association. And uh, when I was there with my buddy Charlie, though, I got in a little bit more conversation with her. And this is where I can't remember the details. But what I'll tell you in general is what was going on. First of all, I was just being friendly with the waitress okay, in a sense, appropriately friendly. Some waitresses are bustling around and they don't really care to talk or it's clear that they're busy or they're not into that. This young lady was just so cheerful and friendly and had such a bright countenance. Uh, I uh, uh, It was easy to chat with her a little bit, and so when there was a little lull, I asked her something, I can't remember entirely, but uh, what I learned is that very soon she was going to be shipping out to one of the state universities. So this was in uh, August, first week of September. School hadn't started yet, and and, uh, she was still kind of working off her summer, and then she'd be heading out. Now, here's where I wish I knew what I asked her, because all I'm doing here is drawing her out. Uh, I'm, I'm asking uh, simple questions to gather information. And those of you who have read Tactics or uh, are reading Street Smarts, and hope that's lots of you, uh, just came out last week officially, but many of you have told me you've already got your book, so that's great. When you read that, you know that my whole approach to evangelism is gardening— I'm not looking to win anybody to Christ. I I want them to become Christians, but I don't need to lead them across uh, the threshold, so to speak, to justify my involvement in their life. And my conviction is, and I've talked about this a lot, that if, uh, if, if if there's not good gardening, there isn't going to be a good harvest before there can be a harvest, there's always got to be a season of gardening in any individual's life. You can look at your own lives, right? And if you have become a Christian at some time, um, in your memory, in other words, there are people who were raised in a Christian home and never remember when they weren't Christian. But many of us had a point in our life where there was this transition, but of course we realize, one, that the, the, the transition was preceded by a period of time in which we were thinking about Christianity and its claims, and its claim on us, and whether or not it was true, or whether or not we wanted to pursue it. And so that period of time, usually associated with other people having some kind of input, whether directly face-to-face or through a radio show like this one, or uh, reading something, however it happens to be, came to a point where they became a Christian, even though they don't remember the exact point that happened. I have a spiritual birthday. I remember the date, September twenty eighth, 1973. A lot of people don't have that. That is, nobody harvested them. They harvested themselves after a fashion, or uh, you might say the Holy Spirit harvested them in their time, but it was possible because of the, the gardening that was done. And this is why I'm in favor of these kind of in, trying to initiate casual conversations with people that you meet, with the possibility that they're, they will turn a corner at some point and get into spiritual things. You may not turn that corner, and if you don't, then you've just had a nice conversation being friendly to someone else. If uh, you do get into spiritual things, you might end up learning some things about another person's spiritual point of view that you had never thought about before. And now you have a chance to think about it before you might challenge that view compared to the Christian view, or something like that. Sometimes what happens is you discover that the person you're talking to turns out to be a Christian as well. And this is what happened with the waitress, Kira. She, and again, I wish I could remember the details. I just made a note to myself, talk about your chat with Kira on the radio. And I didn't put any details. So that was like three weeks ago, and I forgot the details. Except for somewhere along, along the line, I just, when she's going talk about going to the university, I don't know if I offered a warning. If I said, just Kira, be careful. I'm concerned about you. I don't know what, something like that. I mean, I'm here. I am in a kind of a, you know, avuncular kind of way. That means like an uncle, an older person who's concerned about her well-being, and I'm just giving her advice. Something about the way she responded to something I had asked about gave me the uh, idea that she might be a Christian. She might be a believer, and uh, of course her. Her whole manner and countenance certainly uh, was supportive of that concept. Now, I'm a Christian, I'm not always super cheerful, all right? And you could have very cheerful people that aren't, but it was just something about her that just, you know, my spirit bore witness to, you might say. I don't know. But I asked her, are you a Christian? Now, sometimes when you ask it that way, you're not going to get a clear response. Some people might say, "Like, well, yeah, so what, or whatever." But she responded very quickly, "Yes, like this was the real McCoy." And then I said, "Well," referring to my friend Charlie next to me, "We love the Lord too." Notice my choice of words. I I want to to communicate here that that when we say we are Christian, we mean something very particular. We don't mean we just merely self-identify as Christian because we're Americans, we were raised in a Christian family, or, you know, we're not Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or whatever. We're not atheists, so we're kind of nice people. And that's what a lot of people mean when they say, well, they're Christian. I wanted her to understand that Charlie and I loved the Lord. And then, of course, I had a sense that's what she was, the kind of Christianity she was referring to as well. And I wanted to see her reaction, just to make sure that we're both on the same page. That's all. And she responded really well to that. So I asked her, what church do you go to? It turns out she goes to the same church that Charlie and I go to, which is not that big of a church. We hadn't seen her there. So we asked her a little bit about, oh, well, you know, I've been working in this and that and the other thing, that's where my mom goes or whatever, and actually earlier in the year in June, I I spoke there. So so more, in a sense, affirmation, confirmation that uh, this person, this waitress, was a sister in Christ. And now my exhortations became stronger out of a sense of protection for her, a Christian sister in Christ being herded off to a local state school to be beat up with a bunch of nonsense that, that from a group of people that are going to do everything they can to disabuse her of her convictions about Christ and God, okay? And so I said, get me a napkin and a pen. I'm just going to write this website down. You can imagine what that was, str. dot I didn't have a card to give her, um, So I wrote this down. I said, I I want you to go home, and I want you to bookmark this, and I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do with me. This is the organization that I work for, and we care about you. I care about you. I know what you're going to be facing when you go off to the university. And I want you to uh, have—we want to have your back, so to speak. I want you to have a place you can turn to, to get the information you need when you get beat up. Okay? I care about you, Kira. Now, this had probably been the third or fourth time in that week that I'd actually been there for dinner because I wasn't cooking at home. I was all by myself, so I was going out. I had breakfast at home, cereal, whatever. But I wasn't going to cook dinner because then I got to clean up too, and I didn't have time for that. I was working on other projects. So I'd been there a while, and i have been able to connect with her in a personal way, and this probably, I think, was the very last time. It was the last time that I had dinner there before I had to leave for the season. I won't see her again, maybe ever, (laughs) except for, you know, in heaven or whatever, but not, maybe she'll come back and be working there, I don't know, in next season. But if she does, I'll be glad to see her and reconnect with her. But since I was leaving, I wanted to leave her with something substantive, okay? Now, I tell this whole story. Um, not to uh, wave my own flag, because I would not consider myself an aggressive witnesser. I'm not looking to share Christ with everybody that I see. I have friends that are like that, and they just love sharing the gospel. I start out street smarts. It's the first couple lines of the first chapter that I wrote. Jay Warner Wallace wrote the foreword. I wrote, evangelism is difficult for me. I know it seems odd for me to say that, considering what I do, but it is. And I'm not alone. There's a lot of people who are in the same place. Now, of course, I do it. And it's easier to do, even if you start out frightened, which is understandable given the culture, if you've got a plan, and you've got a proper understanding of how evangelism works in the New Testament, that's the gardening approach that I was referring to, etc. Nevertheless, even though I'm not this aggressive witnesser, so to speak, um, I I still am am a Christian. (laughs) I'm a follower of Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ, and so I am trying to be alert, especially to easy opportunities, to be able to do a little spade work, I guess you might call it. Make a little difference in somebody's life. In this case, provided encouragement to say, hey, Kira, I'm here with you. We love the Lord too. We are strangers in a strange land. We are behind enemy lines, kind of conversation, and uh, it's going to be tough, but we got your back. Hang in there. Don't buy what the world is dishing out, something along that line. Now, it wasn't all gruesome or heavy duty or sit down, I'm going to teach you a lesson, but it was just an a sincere expression of concern, and giving her something substantive to leave with our website so that when she needed it, she could use it. And I guarantee you she's going to need it pretty soon if she is going to stand for Christ in any, pretty much in any school of higher education anymore, because even Christian schools those that are advertised as Christian schools, um, aren't completely reliable to be faithful to Christ, or at least in the sense and to the degree that I think would be appropriate, and I suspect that many of you think would be appropriate for followers of Christ. Anyway, so there's my little anecdote about my conversation with Kira, the sweet waitress at Black Bear Bar and Grill in Woodruff, Wisconsin and I hope that someday I will see her again, maybe next May or June, we'll see. Maybe we'll have a new story when I do. Okay, let's take a break here, and then we'll get to your calls on Stand to Reason. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STR Ask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STR Ask. That's hashtag STR Ask.
1: The documentary, What is a Woman? sparked all kinds of
0: debate. But did the film give a sufficient answer to the question? Well, I'd like to offer an improved definition in the latest episode of my podcast, Thinking Out Loud with Alan Schliemann. Look for it on Spotify, iTunes, your favorite podcast app,
2: or at the top of the homepage at str.org. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR outpost. STR outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. By becoming an outpost director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost, or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org slash outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at
0: Okay, friends. Uh, let's get to some calls here. And first up is Phil in Oregon. Phil, welcome to the show. Glad you called.
1: Well, thank you. I'm really glad to be on. All I right, appreciate it. We're both happy. Yeah, we're both happy. <laughs> that's that's a great way to start. Mm-hmm. So, um, my uh, my question has to do with John thirteen thirty four. Okay. Which is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm an elder of my church, my friend is the pastor, and he preached on this verse and he is advocating that we are now to take the love that we once gave to God and give it to others as if this new commandment was to supersede the previous commandment of love God first and then your neighbor. Um, So now he's saying that now we love God by loving others instead of loving God as its mm. own separate
0: mm. did you hear my groan? Did he, you hear my groan? Okay, so Yeah,
1: I hear you groan and I hope this is not too obvious of a question, but I I I can't I've talked to him about it and it's difficult to find scripture verses that back up such kind of an obvious answer. And so I wanted to hear your take on it.
0: Well, uh, here's what I thought, and uh, occasionally I see this—well, not occasionally, I just see it too often—and it's one of the things that you know I want to instruct my own team on. I haven't talked to them about this in, as a general principle, but what you do not want to do as a Bible teacher or a communicator is you do not want to get creative you don't want to come up with something that is the new twist or, you know, people haven't really, pardon me, seen this for 2,000 years and I just saw something that nobody else has seen, okay? It could be, by the way, that there are trends in the church that are just not biblical. And so, when you speak out against the trend, you seem iconoclastic, like, you're breaking the mold, you're swimming upstream, you're saying something nobody else is saying. Well, that may be true, but it shouldn't be overlooked if one can point out in Scripture that what you're saying against the tide right now is actually biblically sound. Martin Luther did this, okay? Um, you know, when I talk about decision-making the will of God, which by the way, in a, I think in a two weeks we're going to have a whole show on that, my teaching on this, that is counter to the trend in the moment. But it is solid. The, the, the points I make are solidly biblical, and I show that, and I'm trying to return people to a biblical thing. What we have here, though, is completely, I mean, odd. Wait a minute. Jesus is saying when he says love one another, what he really means is that this is a commandment that supersedes our love of God, that what we do is we focus on loving one another and that's in place of loving God, or that is the way we love God? Where does right. anyone get that from the words of this text? Jesus just says, a new commandment I'm giving to you, love one another. Okay, now there is a little question about why does he say new when he said that before? And maybe we'll look at that in a moment. But it, it, it isn't like Jesus is clearly making the point that the pastor is making here. You know, like, Jesus is not saying, I know I told you, love God first and love uh, uh, your, your neighbor second. I said that. But now I'm changing that, because now the way that you love God is loving your neighbor. So, don't worry about loving God. Worry about just loving your neighbor. Now, that's I'd want to see something like that in the text, if what Jesus was referring to here is something that seems to go Against what he taught earlier, and frankly, uh, makes uh, against what makes common biblical sense. God is, in other
1: words, you'd want to see Jesus saying here. By the way, that this this does supersede the previous.
0: Of course, absolutely. I'd want him to see that because it certainly isn't obvious just from the words that are being given here. What he here's my take. He is—he's getting creative. He's giving a novel interpretation of this. <clears throat> I had a, 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 I knew of a pastor that—that that was talking about, um, um, you know, when Jesus calls—is uh, it Zacchaeus, the little guy who's sitting in the tree? Do you remember that? Was that Zacchaeus? Right, yeah, yeah, the that Gospels. The yeah, and so and so what? Z Zacchaeus was up in the tree because he was little and there was a lot of crowd, and it was hard to see Jesus, and so Zacchaeus was getting up in the tree, and then Jesus says, Come down. Okay, now, what do you think? You know the passage, right? Right. Yeah, okay, sure. so why do you think Zacchaeus was getting up in the tree?
1: Well, he was short. He wanted to see over the crowd.
0: Yes, and why did Jesus say, Come down?
1: Um, because he wanted to talk to him personally. There
0: you go. Duh! Here's what this pastor said. Zacchaeus was up in the tree because he was trying to put himself up above other people. He wanted to be noticed. And when Jesus says, come down, he was inviting him or or enjoining him to humble himself, coming down from that role or that position of being noticed. Like, excuse me? Well, like, (laughs) are you kidding me? Notice how the pastors completely overlooking the very common sense meaning of the passage, and right. then reading in some some awkward element that doesn't seem to be resident in that passage at all, and then making, making a big teaching out of it. So at that point, he's taught, teaching about Zacchaeus, but he's not teaching about the Bible. Huh right because he's making Zacchaeus into in that whole circumstance into something different than it was this is right. what i mean by not getting creative
1: right Stic- well, well, and that's what my friend go ahead yeah my friend um he he has another verse that he's using to support his position which is where jesus says if you you go to the temple and you you go to the temple to pray but you have an odd against your brother or brother is out against you, go leave your gift there, go go straighten out things with your brother before you come back uh-huh. to, you know. So what he's saying is, God is putting priority on relationships versus um, bringing, bringing our sacrifice to God. Well,
0: yeah, I, I don't think that's what was going on there either. And I think that what was going on there is fairly obvious to most people who have a sense of the kind of culture that Jesus was dealing with. If you recall, go all the way back to 1 Samuel, remember when in 1 Samuel, Samuel was having to deal with Saul, and Saul was given a command, and the command was to destroy the Amalekites, etc. Don't leave anything alive, and all the animals too. And so then after the battle, Saul's bringing uh, his entourage of defeated people along with the animals as well, and he said, I've done all that you told me to do, that the Lord had me do. And then S- Samuel says, well, what is this bleeding of goats that I hear, and the lowing of oxen? Oh, I brought that to sacrifice to God. And what Samuel says is, I, uh, God does not want sacrifice. Now, of course, he does want sacrifice It's part of the law. But there's something else that's that's greater than that. Not wooden obedience or like sacrifice. When there's disobedience about things that really matter, other things. And so, um, th- what they what what Jesus is dealing with is a Jewish people that sometimes um, were were emphasizing the, the externals without doing the internals. Okay. And so that I think that's the kind of thing that's going on there. Oh, so you show up to church, right? Okay, you can you can pat yourself on the back for showing up to church every week, but you got you got problems with friends. You better deal with the problems with friends because that's more important than just showing up to church kind of thing. He wasn't saying the problems with friends are more important than your relationship with God. That wasn't the contrast that was being made there, okay? Right. Jesus okay. says, here's the here's the great commandments, okay? Mm-hmm. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Question, who's your neighbor? That's where S- the Good Samaritan comes in, and basically Jesus' answer is, your neighbor is your biggest enemy, all right? <clears throat> so yeah. here, the whole law is captured under these two principles, which are from the Old Testament, okay?
1: Now, my, my pastor is saying, that when Jesus says the second commandment is like the first, he's saying that that one that the priority of the second commandment is similar to the first. In other words, when Jesus is saying, you know, love God, um, and, lo- and the second one is like it, love your brother.
0: Okay, uh- that
1: the word "like" means pr- the same priority.
0: Okay, let me ask you a question. I mean, here we're just—again, this, I think, is being creative because the answer to this is very similar. I say, love God and love your neighbor. I just say those two sentences, and I say, the second one is like the first one. Tell me what is similar between the first one and the second one.
1: They both involve love.
0: There you go. No duh, right? Okay. Right, no duh. But Jesus said— First and second. First and second. He didn't say, here's two of equal value. First, love God. What's the very first commandment that God gave the the Hebrews? He said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay? The first thing he emphasizes the first commandment is he's number one. In the beginning, God. That's the first line of the whole story. In the beginning God. The story is about God and his kingdom and he is the king over his domain. So I mean these are what what could be more obvious of the, than the centrality of God in all of these things and the centrality of our affections for God. And by the way there's right. another basic rule that's really important but it's number 2. Number 2 is also loving so it's like the first one in that entails love, but it's of second order, and that is loving your neighbor. So uh, right. I don't. So why the mystery? I just asked you a couple simple questions. You got it right real easily. You don't have a. I don't know. Do you have a theology degree? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Are you a pastor? No. You. We just read in the sentence. so it that the plain sense makes common sense. Why are we reading a different sense into it? Because there's a different point that he's trying to make by reading a different sense into it. Right. The text, as it stands, doesn't make his point. So he's saying, well, the like between the first and the second is that is that they are the same priority. No, they're not. You have a higher obli- duh, a higher obligation to God than you do to right. others, okay? And I mean, I, I don't mean to be condescending. I, mean, I I guess. I guess I'm a little bit. Uh, um, what's the right word? Kind of dumbfounded by this kind of approach. This is what ends up ca- causing lots of problems when people approach scripture this way. And this is why I want to tell my people that we have to take a note about this, a- Amy. If you make a note about this particular call. Oh, she's not even paying attention. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she's talking on the other side of the glass. Because I want to use these as examples, because this is being creative. This is finding something in there that's not obvious to everybody else. And then you you make it the most important thing. And that's not a good habit to get into when we are handling God's Word. Here's what Paul, Peter said, Paul said, rather, to Timothy in 2 Timothy Chapter Two. Remember, this is the last thing that God, I'm sorry, that Paul wrote before he was executed. He said, he said. Um, um, <laughs> now I'm trying to remember how it starts. Might have to look it up. But he says, "But handle the word carefully and accurately. Be diligent. Be a workman who needs not to be ashamed. Handle, handling." The Word of God accurately. Now, what happens if we're not handling it accurately, if we're not diligent to do that? Well, we should be ashamed of that. And it's the next uh, chapter, just a few verses later, where it talks about the Holy Scriptures and and being God-breathed, etc. Um, and, uh, and, and so, I mean, this is what we should be doing, handling it accurately. There is no justification for making that kind of interpretation of that text in uh, John, uh, what do we have, 1334. Now, I I do want to make another observation, though, uh, because—and I think this is something that's Um, valid—he says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, why would it be a new commandment? Because he has already said the two greatest commandments entail love first and love second—love God first, love neighbor second. Well, the context of that, those the two great commandments, had to do with justification, okay? And as I understand it, since there's so many laws that the Jews had to keep, um, there was debate about maybe focusing on the most important ones and make sure we get those right, the greatest commandment. Then there's debate about which ones were the greatest. And so Jesus was asked the question, Rabbi, in your opinion, which one is the greatest? And because the idea is, if you keep the most important things, you can be justified by keeping them. All right, maybe can't keep them all, but we will keep the most important, and that's going to be good enough. All right. And so right. he said, Rabbi, what are the two most important? And Jesus said, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Now, just think of the first. Here's the first commandment. Jesus said, This is this. This covers them all, basically. The whole law is encompassed in these two things. So, he didn't just pick the, 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 the top two, he picked the two that encompass in spirit the entire law. Right? Right. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, can I ask a personal question, Phil?
1: Yeah, I think I already know the answer. It's impossible.
0: Yes, exactly. The question I was going to ask is, have you ever done that? because I have no. never had a split second in my life where that's been the case.
1: No, you okay? no, I I agree. I have never done Okay. That.
0: So you see now the demand that 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 makes. You know, I'm keep basically what I'm focusing in on the larger context here. And then one of the scribes says or one of the lawyers they say, "Well, who is my neighbor?" So he must have thought that he did pretty good with the first one, but now he's not sure who his neighbor is. But here's the key. The text says, seeking to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? And so this is where the Good Samaritan account comes in, but people take it as a standalone morality parable, when really it's part of the earlier material in which he is trying to show that you cannot be justified. You have an obligation to love God and people, God and people, and the people you had to love are not just the lovable ones. The, your worst enemy is the ones you've got to love. That's it. Okay. Well, this is kind of you get it how impossible this is. That's the burden right. of the law. Now, when we come to John fourteen, we have a or thirteen. We have a completely different situation. We have Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, his closest group, which he's investing him in himself in the last night he is alive on earth, all right? And the Upper Room Discourse starts in chapter 13 of John. It goes to the, to the ch- through to the end of chapter 17. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Five chapters—that's one quarter of the entire gospel of John—is dedicated to this one evening where Jesus is there teaching and encouraging them to prepare them for what's to follow. Okay, so now what I'm doing is I'm setting the context of this as opposed to the context where he gave the two great commandments you with me right okay and now he says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i have loved you now by the way in john that's john 13 how does john do you re- recall not to put you on the spot but just curious do you recall how john 13 starts
1: no, I don't remember.
0: Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. That is the first thing that happens. The Lord, the Master, the Rabbi is stooping to do the lowest deed, to serve. And he is telling them, I did this as an example to you. And now he's telling them I mean, that you ought to serve one another and you ought to love one another. I don't. I don't. It might be that this is the first time that Jesus actually emphasized this this loving union within the 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 uh, apostolic or discipleship band. Maybe you know this wasn't the emphasis. This is why he says new commandment. It, I mean, to, the command to love isn't new. He's already said that before. This is a different set of circumstances, spoken to a different set of people. A subset of all people, and that is the apostolic band. He's saying, "...love one another, serve one another, just as I served you. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." So, this command is to the believers in community with each other as a witness to the rest of the world. It is a very different kind of thing. It isn't like, love all the world, no, we'll love one another. That's what Jesus is saying here. Am I saying that we shouldn't love the whole world? No, we should. In virtue of that other commandment, we should be loving towards others. But within the body of Christ, there is a filial, familial love that is unique and deeper and more profound. And when the world sees this love we have for each other, that will be a witness to them, and that's what Jesus is saying. So, notice how what I've tried to do is give a rationale that seems to be tied to the text in both cases. How Jesus is not superseding the first great commandment in this comment right now, he's giving new instruction to the to the disciples about how their community is supposed to look once he's gone and they have the job to continue on making disciples of all nations. He's not saying anything about the two Great Commandments. Those were actually offered in a different category. As a summary of the law, partially, even though it's true we ought to be doing this, it's to show that we can't do that, and we are overwhelmed by the responsibility. I've never done either commandment, ever. Maybe I've loved others like myself, maybe a few times. In 50 years as a Christian, but never the first one. Yep. And this is why I'm thankful for grace. So when, when your pastor, unfortunately, is is gets creative with these passages, he's ended up teaching something that is not in the text. I mean, I say this with confidence. I'm not trying to put your pastor down, but I am chastising the way that he's using Scripture. And I'm offering a warning for folks, don't do that. Don't get creative, is what I'm saying, right. rather let the text speak for itself and take the obvious meaning, unless there's something wrong with the obvious meaning. Right. By the way, um, then you have to look more closely, and I do think in the case of the um, uh, the Good Samaritan, the unfortunate thing is in all our Bibles, that whole section starts with a heading, says the Good Samaritan, and that's where people start reading. And so they actually misunderstand the intent of the parable of the Good Samaritan. They see it as a morality uh, parable. And certainly there is moral teaching in there, but that isn't the reason Jesus gives it. If you disregard the heading, which isn't in the original, and you read above it and read the whole thing in context, you realize that Jesus is showing this scribe or this, this legalist that he cannot fulfill the second commandment to love his neighbor. It requires right. loving the person who the that you hate the most.
1: Okay, right. and that's the point of the parable. Anyway, does that help? Yeah. Well yes, that's been very helpful. Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you're welcome, Phil, and I appreciate the call. Okay?
1: All right. Take care, buddy. Be in touch.
0: Okay. I um uh, now I'm looking at the clock and poor Cade. Let me go to Cade. Cade, welcome to the show, and look, you got ten minutes. you got less than ten minutes. So, um, you and I usually talk longer than that, don't we? We do, yep. <laughs> so, I'm not sure what's on your mind. How about this? Let's uh, talk a little bit about it from uh, what I can tell from your questions. It's akin to what we just talked about. And and it may be, just for fun, that I'll hold you over into the next segment.
2: That would be perfect for okay.
0: me. We'll see. You've you got to be extra special here, Cade. <laughs> got to justify the special treatment, okay? So what do you got for me today, Mr. cade right.
2: I'll try to impress you, Mr. Kokel. Um, so in the last year, I've really tried to get into studying Scripture. Um, uh-huh. Before that, I was more just like intellectually into my faith. Um, I think I've probably told you about that, but I've really mm-hmm. wanted to dive into reading my Bible and understanding it. So, I had some questions for you regarding that. The first one being... Oh, wait, before I, wanted... I get
0: to the first one, let me ask you a question, and pardon me for interrupting, but we had a discussion about this issue, as you mentioned, this other issue before, and I actually wrote a, a mentoring letter where I talked about the concept of quorum deo, uh, before God, right? And, and that was I wrote that somewhat in response to our conversation. Have you read that piece yet?
2: I don't think I have. You said it was a mentoring letter.
0: Yeah, it was one. Come, is it? Uh, Amy says she'll send it to you. But uh, when did it come out, Amy? She's okay. So Amy's going to link to it, but it came out the beginning of August. So it must have got lost in the shuffle somehow. Because I know you get our stuff. But in any event, it's uh, it was broadly addressing that issue. Okay, go on.
2: Okay. Yeah, so the first question I wanted to ask you, Mr. Cokles, because I read an article of yours a while back where you talked about how you read the Bible and like you circle things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you how you note taking your Bible, how you annotate to gain more understanding or to like put your own insights down. I know some people use pens, pencil, color pencil. There's all all these different systems. Like, what do you do?
0: Okay, I, basically two things. I'm, I'm right now in John 14, because that's where I was with the last caller. So I'm just looking at my Bible. And I have some things that are highlighted in yellow, and I don't use, like, a felt highlighter, because it bleeds through. All right? You know what I'm talking about, like a yep. Sharpie-type highlighter. Um, then what I do is I use a, a, a colored pencil. It's a yellow-colored pencil, and I just highlight with the yellow-colored pencil. And I only do that with verses that I think really are stand out in the teaching of Jesus, in the teaching of the Bible. Not something that just, oh, that makes sense to me, or oh, I've been convicted by that, but something that is a central thing, okay? The verse we were just reading, John chapter uh, 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, that's in yellow. All right? Go down here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John fourteen six, Famous verse? Absolutely. That's in yellow. Um, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm just moving a little down the page. That's pretty important, okay? Uh, He who has my commandment and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. I underline that one as a major verse because it identifies a special love that God has for his people, the Christians, that he doesn't have for others. Okay. Anyway, so, my peace I leave with you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. I underlay it. The Father is greater than I." That's in yellow, okay? I am the vine, you are the branches, chapter 15, in yellow. So, greater love is no man than this, he lay down his life for his friends. That's in yellow. So, that's what I use the yellow for, but I, I don't have yellow on every page, you know? I just have a lot on Upper Room Discourse, because there's important stuff there, okay? Um, then what I do is almost, there are some exceptions, just because I didn't always have a pencil but uh, then I mark in pencil. And so, um, in uh, chapter 15, right now, uh, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me. Now, I circled in me, because it's not just every branch, it's every branch in me. That's something, you know, it's just I wanted to emphasize. I just circled in me. And does not bear fruit. Now, the word fruit appears about five times in five verses. So, I I, I, I I, didn't circle the word fruit. I squared it. does not bear fruit. I squared it. Then the next, bears fruit, the next one. Then he may bear four more fruit. Three times in verse 2. Then you have in verse 4, another fruit. And in verse 5, another fruit, okay? And then you have abide, abide, abide. So, what I'm doing is I'm just trying to highlight some of these things that are words that are repeated, that give me an indication that Jesus, in this case, is emphasizing something really important. This is about producing fruit by abiding in Him. Okay, and uh, and 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 that's so that's what I'm looking at. I got a bunch of other things that are written in the margin. When I have thoughts about things, I write in the margin. Okay, uh, and I wrote abide. Nine times. Fruit, eight times. Love, what does it say, ten times? I, I, I need my magnifying glass ten times. So these words are repeated a bunch of times. And so I'm just, I just notice it. So I make a note in the margin with my pencil. Now, sometimes, and it happened just recently, I said, well, I don't know why this is here, because now as I read the text, I don't have this question anymore. So I erased <laughs> the pencil mark. You know, so um, uh, sometimes I see m- multiple points that are being made. So here I put number one by verse five, number two by verse seven, and number three by verse 10, because there are three different points he's, he's making. First, uh, you know, abide in me. Okay, that's verse, that's number one. If you abide in my words, abide in you. That's another part. And then it says, keep my commandments um, uh, by abiding in his love. So, you know, I just—that's the kind of stuff that I do. It's not even a system, really. It's just a response to the text. Mm. And uh, that's just one page. If you and I were sitting here together, you know, you flip through my Bible, you'd see all this crazy stuff. I see uh, words that repeat themselves in other passages. There's a word troubled. Where was that? Okay, chapter fourteen, verse first. Do not let your heart be troubled. Then I notice verse twenty-seven. It says, "Do not let your heart be troubled." no, let you be He repeats it. So I just used my pencil and a straight edge and drew a line between the troubled verse 1 and troubled verse 27. I'm just showing myself that there's a relationship here. Jesus repeats himself. Okay? Um, so, you know, nothing fancy, you know. Oh, here, we're almost out of time. Let, let me put you on hold, and we'll come back and chat a little bit more for the next segment. Does that work All for you? Right. Okay. I
2: really appreciate that, Mr. Kokel. Yeah,
0: you're welcome. Amy, could you put him on hold? I don't want to hang him up, so I don't know which button i got to push to make that happen. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give him heaven, friends. Bye-bye now.